So this is uh, the last week of our Ezekiel series. Uh, I hope that you've really enjoyed our look through Ezekiel. Uh, my prayer has been that, that we would really begin to see God more clearly uh, through this uh, study of, of some weird passages uh, in this very unique book of the Bible. Uh, and I hope that you've been able to do that. So while we're kind of finishing out Ezekiel, uh, this week we are actually just getting started with our whole series called Apocalypse. Uh, because three weeks, the next three weeks, we're going to be in Daniel. Uh, and then after that, we're going to be in Revelation. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, leading us all the way up until uh, the end of the year. Uh, also, want to real quickly remind you that on December 16th, uh, we are having a, uh, an event that we're calling Cosmic Christmas. Uh, it is a Christmas outreach event. Uh, we would love for you to be a part of it. It's at 6 p.m. that night. Mark your calendars right now. I encourage you to invite a friend or two or seven, uh, because after all, seven is the number of completion, and we're in these apocalyptic books, and so it would only be appropriate for you to invite seven friends, okay? So, you know, just some good Bible humor there for you. Um, so we'd love for you to invite some friends. Also, uh, this is the first time that we've let you know this. On December 16th, uh, we won't be having a morning service. We will only be doing the 6 p.m. Christmas outreach. So it's going to serve as your Sunday morning uh, event on that day. So we encourage you to invite some friends and uh, be there on December 16th. All right? Let me give you a review of where we've been so far in Ezekiel. Uh, because I think it's important in this book that pronounces a lot of judgment and has a lot of weird uh, passages. Passages, uh, I think it's important to kind of see where we've been so that we more fully understand uh, where we're going today in Ezekiel chapter 37. So which, by the way, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn with me there to Ezekiel 37. That's where we'll be today. Uh, in the first week, we studied Ezekiel's heavenly vision in Ezekiel chapter 1. And uh, what we learned there is that God is coming in judgment. Uh, but the purpose of pronouncing judgment is to bring people to repentance. In other words, when we talk about judgment and when we hear judgment in the Bible... It it's not just God being a mean guy. It's not the mean guy in the sky uh, seeking to strike you down with lightning and catch you doing something wrong. But rather, when we're pronouncing judgment and these prophets come and say, if you don't change your behavior, if you keep going down the road that you're going, it's, it's going to lead to death. And, and, and God hates sin and sin has to be punished. And so he pronounces this judgment as a way of bringing their hearts to repentance. Uh, but judgment itself is, is this idea of God sorting things out. That is that the God's heart is redemption. God's heart is renewal. And in order to do that, certain things have to be sorted out. Uh, for those that are walking in disobedience against God, those who are walking in sin, this could be some very bad news. But for those who are walking with God and walking in obedience, judgment is very good news. Because judgment is this idea of God sorting things out and putting things back to right. Uh, and, and so we, that's what we learned in the first week. And that God, oh, then even in judgment, what we realize is that God has not forgotten about his creation and God has not forgotten about you. That is to say that, that you may have rejected God, you may have walked away from God, and, and you may have come to believe that, that God has just forgotten his creation, he's forgotten this world, and he's just letting it, letting it run rampant. Uh, and you may, you may have come to believe that because of your experiences in life and your difficulties. But we learned in Ezekiel's heavenly vision that God has not abandoned creation, and God has not abandoned you. And I, I hope that's some, some good news for you today. In the, in the second week, we, we read this passage where Ezekiel, the prophet, is called to lie on his side for 430 days, eat food cooked, cooked over human excrement, while taking on the sins of Israel. And I encouraged all of you to take on and begin practicing the Ezekiel diet. 
And I just want to do a quick follow-up. Has anyone done that? Anyone taken on the Ezekiel diet? It's only 430 days long. No one took that next step. Well, that's okay, because it was just a joke anyway. Okay. And then in, this, in that week, we learned the, the this is that principle. Uh, and ultimately, we learned that those actions uh, from the prophet pointed us to the greater reality of Christ, the one who did suffer for us, the one who did take on uh, the sin of the world, the true suffering servant, Jesus Christ. And so we, we, we really learned from that odd passage uh, the this is that. This is really pointing us to the greater reality of Christ. And then last week, in the third week of our Ezekiel study, we, we studied uh, an explicit, a, a, a rated R uh, portion of Scripture uh, about a woman who is unfaithful to her rescuer. And we learned, first of all, that we are made beautiful in Christ. That, that when you make a statement of faith for Christ, and when you invite Him into your life, you are clothed in His righteousness. And your beauty is perfected. And for some of you today, that just, that just needs to be the good news right there. So for some of you today, you might have a, a low self-esteem. You might, have, uh, you might not be confident in who you are. You might be doubting your value or your worth. And, and man, God just wants to proclaim the truth into your life. That when we, when we profess him, we are clothed in his righteousness. We are inherently valuable because you're one of his children. And uh, that your beauty is made perfect. And I hope that's an encouragement to you. But we also learned that, that this, this righteousness comes to us as a great gift. For we're broken without God. We're lost without God. And yet when we place our faith in Him, He clothes us in His perfect righteousness. It comes to us as a great gift. But how easy it is for us to, to begin placing our trust in the gift instead of the giver. And so that's where we've been so far in this series. Today I want, to, I want to talk about the most famous passage in Ezekiel. Uh, probably the one that's, that's easiest to talk about. Uh, it can be hard to talk about uh, Ezekiel 16 with, with its graphic language. It can be hard to talk about this prophet that was called to eat food that's cooked with poop. And, I mean, that, that, that's just hard stuff to talk about, right? But here we are. We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 37. And uh, it's, it's going to be great news for you. So I want to read the first 14 verses of Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, the first 14 verses. Uh, it says this. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Notice the details that he wants us to be aware of. He wants us to know not only is this a, a valley of bones, but there's a great many of bones. There's been tons of death in this valley. And they're not just bones, but they're very dry bones. I mean, these are, not only is it tons of death, like death on, on a certain level of, or, or a certain volume uh, of death, but it's this, this deep-seated death. The bones were very dry. These, these details are important to give us the picture of what's going to happen. And so he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Now we have to be honest that sometimes in our life, it feels like we're living in a valley of lots of very dry bones. And uh, I believe that some of you are there today. And what God is asking you is, can these bones live? 
the, the dry bones, the valley of your situation right now. God is asking you, can these bones live? That's an important question. Well, Ezekiel replies, Sovereign Lord, you alone know whether these bones can live. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons and make flesh come to you and cover you with skin. And then I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I did. I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a great noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. Now, when we read this, I want you to picture what's happening here. Remember, the bones, the, the, the valley full of lots of very dry bones. And listen to this. Listen to these word pictures. There was a great noise and there was a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone. And as I looked, tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. And so then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. And prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath entered them and they came to life. They stood up on their feet and there was a vast army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And they say that our, our, our bones are, are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. So therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up out of them and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves and I bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Isn't that a great passage? It's such a great passage of Scripture. I, I believe there's some truths that we can learn from this passage. And the first one is this. The, the, the whole book leading up to this point has been pronouncing judgment for Israel's sin. And it has led them to a desolate place where the prophet can, can begin to say the state of Israel is that they are a valley of bones. But not just bones, lots of bones. And not just lots of bones, but lots of very dry bones. In other words, the, the truth is this, that we are desolate in our sin. The, 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 the sin that you and I participate in, and, and when, when we're lost in the grip of sin, it leads us to a desolate and desperate place, does it not? I mean, when, when the sin that is in your life, that, we're, that, is so, that has got a grip on your heart, is doing its hard work to isolate you from other people. It's doing its hard work to isolate you from God and isolate you from yourself. And it's leading you to a, a desolate and desperate situation so that maybe you can say that this morning, because I'm lost in my sin, I'm, I'm lost in this addiction, I'm lost in this, this brokenness, you might say that your life is a valley of dry bones. 
And listen, if we're going to realize the truth of the gospel, if we're going to see the hope of Christ for what it is, if we're going to see the beauty of the cross, we have to first see the ugliness of our sin. The problem is, is our culture has made sin beautiful. But just as when we come to know Christ and we are clothed in his righteousness, the scripture says that it's a true beauty. It's an authentic beauty. It's a real beauty. See, what sin does is it takes the beauty of God's goodness, it takes the beauty of God's righteousness, flips it upside down and lies to us so that if you're caught this morning in a cycle of sin, the, the, the message of the culture is that that sin is somehow beautiful in your life. But the truth of the scripture and the truth that God wants to share to you with you this morning is that that sin and that beauty that, that it is portraying is actually a false beauty. That it's not a real beauty. The real beauty is when we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ by faith. And so we, our sin leads us to a desolate place. But some of you are here today and you might say that you're in a valley of dry bones. But it's not because of a sin in your life. It's not because you're, you're lost in a, in a grip of sin. It, does not, it doesn't mean because you're, you, you've got some secret sin that you're hiding. It's just life happened. And, and here you are. And, and you did your best to prevent it. And you never intended it for ha- to happen. But, but here it came. Life threw you a curveball. And, and now you're looking around and all you see all around you is a valley of dry bones. See, see the beauty of God's word and God's message is it doesn't matter what brought you to the valley. It's God's heart to redeem it. It's God's heart to take your valley of dry bones and to breathe new life into that valley. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 3, Ezekiel is led to another valley, a, a, a plain. And most scholars believe that in Ezekiel chapter 3, when Ezekiel uh, again is led to a valley, that it's the same valley that we see in this chapter in Ezekiel ch- chapter 37. So, so automatically it's like, what is the connection uh, this is the same valley. It's the same place. What is the connection there? And what are we to glean from that? Well, and what happens in Ezekiel chapter 3? Well, what happens is that when he goes to this valley, he as a prophet is tied up and his tongue is glued to the roof of his mouth in this same valley. And, and, isn't, and some of you are like, oh, that's awesome. Right? Very cool. What does that mean? I have no idea. Pastor, please tell me. Well, I, I can't tell you exactly, but I, you know, I, I've got some ideas based on research that in Ezekiel chapter 3, he's led to this exact same valley, and, and he's tied up, and then his tongue is glued to the roof of his mouth. In other words, it's, it signifies this absence of prophetic inspiration. That is to say, have you ever, have you ever had a time in your life where you just felt like God was silent? That there was no 
prophetic word coming to you, that there was no, no good word coming to you. You read the Bible and it's just dry. You do your devotions and you feel like your prayers don't even get past the ceiling. You're going through a difficult time. You're asking God why. You need direction in your life. God isn't bringing it. Have you ever had a time in your life where there was an absence of prophetic inspiration where there was an absence of God speaking and you were just trying to tune your ear and you were trying to do all of these things. Well, well, the prophet wants to tell us that, that this, this lack of prophetic inspiration sometimes can make us feel like we're in a valley of dry bones. That, that sometimes when we, when we don't hear from God, it, can, it has the same impact on us as this valley of dry bones that, that there's, there's just nothing I can do to breathe life into this situation. So sometimes there's seasons of silence. And the impact that it has on us emotionally is that we feel like we're in a valley of dry bones. But sometimes, sometimes, we remove ourselves from prophetic inspiration. Sometimes we are the ones that are robbing ourselves from hearing from God. Like when you get too busy and you just can't read his word anymore. And like you're 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 like needing a, a, a big decision and you're needing wisdom from God and you're saying, God, give me wisdom, and 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 you're not reading your Bible. We've removed ourselves from that prophetic inspiration. Or how about this? Uh, I, I've said in this series that in many ways I consider myself to be a prophet, not because I can tell the future, but because prophecy is a, is a timely word from God for the people of God. And, and so every week as the people of God, we gather together in this setting. And, and every week I try to do my best to listen to the Holy Spirit and what he might want me to share with you. And so if you've ever left a message and you've said, man, that was for me, that was exactly for me. That's a prophetic word that God spoke into your life and he just happened to use me to speak that through it. And, and I don't I don't, I, I, I don't allow that to build me up. That's rather frightening for me to say that God would choose to use me as his mouthpiece into your life. And so I carry it with great responsibility. But, but listen to this. Sometimes we, we, we lose that prophetic inspiration. We lose hearing from God because we simply won't go to church. And so the church hurt us or, or somebody hurt my feelings or I don't like how it is here or, or, all of, or, or you know, any variety of reasons. And people say, oh, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm going to write it off and I'm going to just do my Christian thing all on my own. All, you know, me and myself and I and that's it. That's all I need is me and Jesus. And that simply is not true, church. Well, you guys are like, I already know that. I'm in church. Well, there's somebody listening to this by podcast that needs to hear this word. And some of you haven't been to church in a very long time. Or some of you go to church every couple months. And you say, and you expect that to keep that prophetic word alive in you when you only come every couple of months. And that's sort of like me going... My, that's sort of like me saying, man, I went to the gym that once, but it didn't seem to do much good. And I, I went to church. I'm good. You see, this, this, this word picture that we're given in Ezekiel chapter 3 of the prophet having his tongue glued 
to the top of his mouth is, is symbolizing for us these seasons where there's a lack of prophetic inspiration. Sometimes it's a season of silence from God, for God speaks in fragments and fashions where God, God is not necessarily a chatterbox when he says something that it's important. But sometimes we remove ourselves. And the idea is that when we remove ourselves from prophetic inspiration of God, it leads to death. And then it says this in Ezekiel chapter 3. Now, when I do open your mouth, like when your tongue is no longer glued, and when I do open your mouth, you will say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Well, guess what? We come to Ezekiel chapter 37, and, and the prophet Ezekiel says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now, there's, there's other times throughout the book where he says that, but he goes to that exact location. He's in this valley, and his tongue is glued to the top of his mouth. But when your tongue is no longer glued, you will declare. Then he goes, in Ezekiel chapter 37, he goes to the exact same valley and declares over this valley of very dry bones, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come to life. Breathe new life. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about. Is this life-giving mission that God is on. I don't know what, the, what your valley is. I don't know whether you're in it right now. I don't know whether you just came out of it. And, and I don't know if, you're, if it's right around the corner. I don't know if your valley of dry bones is coming tomorrow morning. But whatever it is, I want to speak a couple of words of truth to you that I believe will help you to see you through the valley and understand God's heart in the valley. So here's an important truth. Death is not too great an obstacle for the life-giving power of God. Death is not too great of an obstacle for the life-giving power of God. You may say that your, your life is like a valley of dry bones. You may say that your situation is helpless. Remember, it says this is what the house, the, the valley of dry bones is, stands for, the whole house of Israel. It's a word picture, a, a representation, a metaphor for the house of Israel. Here's what the house of Israel says, verse 11. Our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. That may be you this morning. You may be in a situation where you feel like you're hopeless. You may feel like a situa- in a situation where you've been cut off from, from the goodness of God. You've been cut off from friendship and community and relationship. I don't know what you feel like you've been cut off of, and, but, but it has led you to this point where you feel like you're dead in a valley of dry bones. And here's the great news. That is not too great of a problem or a trouble for God to overcome. Amen? That is not too great of a problem for God to overcome. And here's why. Here's why. Because, I mean, it would be one thing for me just to, like, scream at you and say, God wants you to live. Your valley of dry bones is going to come bone to bone and flesh, and God's going to breathe new life, and it's going to be awesome. And you guys would leave inspired, but have no idea why. You guys would be like, that was awesome. What do I do now? Right? Let me tell you why the death is not too great of an obstacle for God, the life-giving power of God to overcome. Here's why. You ready? 
Here's the secret. The secret ingredient is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Listen, the Hebrew word for spirit is the, is the word ruah. It is used ten times in these 14 verses. Ten times in 14 verses, this word ruah is, is, is used. And it literally means breath, wind, or spirit. Now spirit, we mean the animating power, the fuel behind the life. And so you, you think about, well, okay, here I am in the midst of a dead situation. I'm, I'm lost in the grip of sin. I, I, have, I haven't heard from God. I'm going through a great difficulty. I've been cut off from all of these things. My life is a valley of dry bones. Great news, pastor. That's awesome. God's going to reach into my life with his life-giving power. Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, we often kind of, we, we, we misunderstand the Spirit of God. First of all, because we, we call Him an it. And we've come to understand the Spirit of God sort of like a, like a ghost, right? I mean, it is Halloween, so, so there's no better time to talk about the Spirit than Halloween. Because we think of Him as like this cosmic, weird force in the world, impersonal force, when actually the Spirit of God is not an it, but a him. It's the person of God, the Spirit, the power of God in filling us, dwelling in us, reaching into your life and in your heart to bring you out of your valley of dry bones. Does that make sense? The Spirit of God is a him, not an it. And so Ezekiel, here's, here's, how, here's some of the times that, that it's used. Ezekiel is brought to the valley of dry bones by the ruah of God. So the Spirit of God leads the prophet there. And then verse 5, I will make my ruah enter you and you will come to life. In other words, there's this very strong connection between Ruah, the the spirit, the breath of God, and life. And last week I said that the grace of God is is not God turning a blind eye to to your sin. Because sin leads to death. And so sometimes we misunderstand the the grace of God. And again, this is a review, but we misunderstand the grace of God. And we say, oh, God's grace is just God turning a blind eye so that he doesn't see my sin because Jesus is, is, is in his vision, right? Like he can't see your sin because Jesus is blocking his vision. That's a, a, that's a cheap grace if God is just turning a blind eye to our sin. What I want to say to you and what I said to you last week is that the grace of God is a purifying power that goes through our life, enters our life, empowers us to overcome sin. So the grace of God is not just God ignoring your sin, but the grace of God is God coming in and working in your life to purify you from that sin so that you don't have to be chained to the, to the grip of sin in your life but you can actually overcome it. You can overcome that cynicism. You can overcome that, that, that hard heart. You can overcome that anger. You can overcome that addiction. This is the work of the Spirit purifying our lives. And if we just say that, that, that oh, I'm an angry person, but thank God for His grace, then we've cheapened grace. But the reason that 
grace is purifying is because it's the Spirit of God coming into our life and cleaning us out, purifying our heart. Are you with me now? The Ruah of God, the Spirit of God. Now check this out. If God's grace in your life was God just ignoring sin, then there would be no need for work of restoration. There would be no restoration. You would just continually live in that trap of sin and depend on God's grace. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect or act perfect, but what I'm talking about is that you can be freed from the cycle of habitual sin in your life through the power of the Spirit of God. So instead, God reaches, God takes that sin, and he, which, that sin which leads to death, and he reaches in that dead place of your life, and he seeks to bring new life. And it's absolutely scriptural. Listen to Acts chapter 15. God who knows your heart, God who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. And he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin, and then he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And then, actually, Ezekiel 37 and the Ruah of God and this whole picture of Valley of Dry Bones is actually building on the promise of Ezekiel 36, which is this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and, I, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your, all of your false idols and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. You see the grace of God through the power of the Spirit in your life is able to cleanse you. Man, I hope that's good news for some of you today. I, I, I hope that I hope that these words that I'm speaking are finding their way into your heart. That there is cleansing available to you through the power of the Spirit of God. Now, some of you don't look very convinced. But that's why the prophet includes all these details about the bones, about the dryness of the bones, about the number, the volume of of death and, and despair and need in their life. is because if he can draw a proper picture of the valley of dry bones then the life-giving power of the Spirit becomes all the more beautiful. And my hope and my prayer is that you guys would begin to live that out in your life. That, That your life would become one in which you experience the cleansing power of the Spirit. The cleansing power of God through the Spirit of God. Now, here's so the first truth. Death is not too great of an obstacle for the life-giving power of God. The second truth, coming out of verse 8. Verse 8 says this. Well, let's start at verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise and a rattling sound. And bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them. And skin covered them. And we might be tempted to say, that's a great work. Praise the Lord. So these bones are coming together. They're getting flesh and tendons and skin and all of that. They look like they're alive. But verse 8 says, there was no 
breath in them. There was no ruah in them. And remember, there's a strong connection between ruah of God and life. And so these bones became bodies, but there was no life in them. There was no ruah of God inside of them. And so here's the truth. You can have all the appearance of life and still be dead. You can have all the appearance of life and still be dead. Man, that's sobering, isn't it? You might be someone that people really look up to and they're like, man, I want to I go talk to this person. I've got something I'm really struggling with. And they've got their Christian life all figured out. They, they've got things, that, I mean, they're, they're rocking. So I'm going to go to them, but in those moments of just pure honesty before God, you would realize, well, I have all the appearance of life. I'm still dead. Some of you maybe, have, you've been to church your whole life. Like the first Sunday you were alive, you were dedicated to the Lord and in church, right? That's me. I don't know if that's literally true, but it might as well be true, okay? I mean, I grew up in church. And there have been times in my life or I've had to look just really honestly at myself and say, you know what? People probably look to me as a leader and as someone who has everything figured out, but man, if I'm just really honest with myself, I'm dead. I have all the appearance of life, but I'm spiritually dead. And that may be some of you here this morning. You come to church every week, people look up to you as a great Christian, but if you're honest with yourself, you need a fresh ruah of God to enter your life to come into you and revive that one, what was once so alive, what was once so fresh and vibrant has become stale and very dry. And this morning, you just need the Spirit of God to come inside of you and breathe into you fresh, new life. Maybe you're the one that people come to talk to about their problems. You have all the appearance of having things together, but in reality, you're lifeless and spiritually dry. Remember, God's desire for you is to come in and and breathe new life into you. And he wants to do that today, not tomorrow morning, not not Tuesday, not midweek. God wants to come in and he wants to breathe a new ruah of life into you today, this morning. And listen, all we have to do is is, is the the posture of allowing the Spirit of God to come into our lives looks far more like laying face down at the foot of the cross than saying, I'm going to do better, and we tighten our belt, and we pull up our boots, and we're like, I'm going to get it. I can do it, God. I got this one. I'm going to be good on my own. I'm going to breathe new life into myself because I can do it. I'm disciplined enough. I'm talented enough. I'm good enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. Right? And how many times when we have all the appearance of life, but we're actually dead, do we try to bring ourselves back to life? When all we need to do is have a moment of honesty with God. Sit down before him in surrender. and Say, God, would you breathe your ruah on me? Would you breathe your new life into me? And that may be the message for some of you today. Some of you, some of you may be so far from God, and, and this morning you just need to know that, that it is just one step back to God, but some of you are so familiar with God that you've become dead. And so 
I don't know where you're at, but I believe there's a, a good word in here for you. A couple more things that I want to point out. God tells the prophet Ezekiel to prophesy to the breath. Now, isn't the breath God? Right? God is telling the prophet to prophesy to God. Does that seem weird? (laughs) Ezekiel, would you please tell me what to do? It seems weird until we're reminded in the words of, of Jesus' echo where he goes to a blind man and he says, do you want to see? That's this whole thing about surrender. Ezekiel, tell me what to do. Prophesy to the breath, to the ruah, and tell the breath to breathe its ruah into these bodies that are not alive. Listen to me, all it takes is giving God permission. All we've got to do is say, God, bring your ruah into my life. And God is faithful and he will do it. When Jesus said that interesting question to the blind man, do you want to see? The blind man said, yeah, I do want to see. To which I probably would have said, duh. You know? So there's, there's, there's beauty here. The, the other thing that I want to point out with this idea of prophesying to the breath is that the heart of prophecy, when we come to these prophetic books, when we hear prophetic words, when, we, when, when all of you receive the word that I'm, I'm giving to you today, the heart of prophecy is not to predict, but to produce Now, there may be some prediction, right? The prophet said, a Messiah will come. And he did. But the heart and the intention of the prophecy is to produce something in us. And so God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the Ruah that that the wind might come and breathe new life over this army. And guess what? It produced a vast army. The heart of prophecy is not just to predict, but always to produce. And our goal, every time we get together, my goal every single Sunday is to speak a timely word into your life that will produce growth in your life. But you have to give the Ruah of God permission to speak to you. So let me ask you this. Do you come to church ready? Do you come to church anticipating what God is going to say to you? Or do you come to church because that's what you've always done? Or have you become so familiar with church that church itself is sort of a valley of dry bones? Yep, doing church. This is what I do. This is my routine. And part of my routine is showing up five minutes late. Ouch. Oh, it's it's a timely word. And pun intended. Timely word. Do you, come to God, do you come to church anticipating what God is going to do? Prophesy to this breath. Here's one more thing. There seems to be a two-stage restoration. 
right? The, the, the bones come together and the, the flesh come on, the tendon comes on, and, and, and then it looks like a, then the skin comes on, and then, and then it's like, wow, we've, we've got what was once a valley of dry bones is, is now miraculously a valley of dead bodies. You are dismissed. Thank you for coming. Leave with that encouraging word, right? But there was no breath in them. And then the Spirit breathes new life into them. There's a two-stage restoration. Let me remind you of what Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says when, when God was creating Adam. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground. God picks up the dust and and begins to to form miraculously a man. The form of a man. And and forming a man out of dust is just as miraculous as forming a vast army of bodies out of bones. But Genesis chapter 2 says, And then breathed into his nostrils, this is the same word, the Ruah of life, and man became a living being. So we have a two-stage creation in Genesis. And then in Ezekiel chapter 37, we also have this two-stage recreation. Now by recreation, I don't mean recreation, like boating. But I mean re-creation. Creation made brand new. So first the tendons, flesh, skin, first the, the form out of the dust, and then the, the breath of life, then the ruah of life. Let me tell you, we have creation in Genesis, we have recreation in Ezekiel chapter 37 to teach us something very important that you have to get a hold of. And that is that God is in the business of recreating Maybe God has put something in your heart and it died. Maybe he gave you a dream. Maybe he gave you a vision of who he wants you to be, of who he wants you to become. And and then life happened and that's fallen short. And that vision, that dream died. God wants to dip in, dip his hands in the soil of your dead dream and breathe new life into it. Can I hear an amen? God is in the business of recreating. Some of you have lost your step spiritually, and God wants to breathe new life into you this morning. He wants to say to you, I am good. I can be trusted. You were doing the church thing back in the 90s. You were like DC Talk Jesus Freak, knew every word. You could say it all. It was awesome. And then life happened. You grew up. You weren't in the part of the teen group anymore. And now all of a sudden, you're dry spiritually. God wants to breathe new life into you. Listen, some of your marriages, used to be alive and vibrant and your love was brand new and now it just seems like you're roommates instead of soulmates. And God wants to breathe new life into you. He wants to breathe new life into your marriage. He wants to revive your dead marriage and make it alive again. Because he created your marriage and now he wants to recreate your marriage. Oh, it's too late. We're too old to start over. We're, some of you are like, I've been down the road too far to be recreated. Because listen, at my age, I could say that. Man, I've, I've, I've had 
I've been down too much life to be recreated. And God says, no, man. You're never outside the reach of my recreation. In fact, God says death is not too great of an obstacle for the life-giving power of God to overcome. Isn't this fun? Ezekiel 37, I love it. I want you to consider the young man who grew up a Christian. But after some devastating events in his life, he rejected God. And, and he was that guy. Jesus freak, knew the words, doing the youth group thing, rocking and rolling. Jesus is awesome. And then life happened. Some devastating stuff in life happened. And he shook his fist at God and said, God, how could you? I thought you were good. I thought you could be trusted. Clearly I was wrong. Churned his back on God. And then two years ago, he was in such a bad place in his life. He was in such a valley of very dry bones that he accepted an invitation to church from an unchurched friend. That's right. An agnostic invited him to church. It was this church. And he was in such a bad place in his life that he accepted the invitation to church from his agnostic friend. And that Sunday, the very first Sunday, he walked back into the doors of church. The Ruah of God got a hold of him. And he is now serving the Lord passionately. Some of you are spiritually dead. And God wants to breathe new life into you. He wants to change you forever. Because God is in the business of recreating. You broke up. You found someone better. You lost your job. Now you've entered the field that you're passionate about. Whatever it is for you, I want you to look at your own life this morning and see all the ways in which God has recreated something that was dead. And if you can gain that perspective, if you can look at your own life and begin to personalize this message and begin to see this was dead, but if I, but if I trace all the evidence and if I really look back, I could see that, that God was breathing new life into that. God was recreating this situation. God was, God was bringing something brand new out of this valley of dry bones. If you can get that perspective from your own life, guess what it does? It boosts our faith and gives us greater faith and confidence to move into God's future for us. Because dead situations in dead situations, we tend to look around and say, God, how could you allow this to be dead? But we need to start asking God, how do you want to breathe new life into this situation? Because scripture is clear. God has a heart for redemption. God has a heart of renewal. God wants to do a new thing. So God, how do you want to breathe new life into my marriage, into my work, into my school place, into my friendship, into my relationship? How do you want to restore this dream or this vision that you've given me? How do you want to do those things? But I think it's important to say this. Recreation is not an exact blueprint of the original creation. That's really important for you to know. Because God maybe gave you a a vision or a dream or, or, or a calling in your life, and then that has since become dead, When it's revived, it may look a little bit different. 
And so don't, don't you dare believe that God allowed that dream to die. He recreated it in a little bit different form. Case in point, the resurrected body of Jesus looks different after the resurrection. Case in point, God creates a garden and then in recreation, if we read the end of the book in Revelation, God brings down a city. There's always movement to God's recreation. God is always taking us somewhere. And so, so your, your recreated, your revived dream, your new marriage may look different than the marriage that was so, so great and so vibrant with love. Guess what? Because God is growing your marriage. God doesn't want to restore your marriage to where it was. That's cheap grace. God wants to restore your marriage to where he wants it to be. How about that? The recreation doesn't always look exactly like the creation. God wants to take us even further. In fact, the recreative work of God is always going to take us further than what he first did because we once were dead, but now we're alive. We once were blind, but now we see. It's the beauty of the gospel. And you guys aren't nearly excited about it. All right. Now, I said I had two more things to say, and I have said those two things. I have one more thing to say. (laughs) Classic preacher, right? Classic preacher. When we we get to the the end of this this vision of the dry bones, because I've talked about it in individual terms. God wants to make your marriage new. God wants to renew you. God wants to take you out of your valley of dry bones. But check this out. These bones are the whole house of Israel. In other words, this is a a word not to individuals in Israel. This is a word for all of Israel. This, This is not a word for individuals. This is a word for the community. This is the whole house of Israel. And they say together that our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. So therefore, Ezekiel say to them in a timely word for the people of God from God, I am going to open up your graves and I'm going to bring you. Now you, we don't have a a singular and a plural in English, so I'm just going to help us out. So here it is. And I'm going to bring y'all up from them. The plural you, the community you. And I will bring you all back to the land of Israel. And then y'all, my people, will know that I am the Lord. Listen. The Spirit of God takes this house of Israel that together was a valley of dry bones. He brings their bones together, their flesh together, their tendons together, puts skin on them, breathes new life into them, and they become a vast army so that they might return to their land. It's a word for the community. And the Spirit bonds the community together. There's a vast army. And now together, we're going to march into God's future. And so the Spirit of God brings unity, and then unified, they can boldly walk into God's future.
That's my prayer for this community. My, my prayer for this community is, is that we would be unified by the Spirit of God, that together we might boldly walk into God's future. And I'm really excited about the direction of this church. I spent this, most of this past week on a retreat, and I, I go on a retreat annually, uh, primarily to plan the messages for the following year, so I know where we're going for all of 2013. But I believe that God is, is, is calling us to, to make some additional changes to the structure and the way that we do ministry that I'm really excited about. But we could come up with all the strategy and all the structure and all of the ideas in the world, but if we don't have the Spirit of God breathing life into us consistently, bonding us together, we'll never be able to boldly go into God's future. And so, church, what I would call us all to do is that it's a, it's a word for the community, but it has to begin with us. It has to begin with you. That, uh, that if you will allow the Ruah of God to sweep over you, that as we are all doing that, the, the Spirit of God will unify us in a way that is absolutely unstoppable. Do you have any idea what God wants to do in the city of Fort Collins? Do you have any idea what God wants to do in northern Colorado and in this city and in this country? God wants to create something brand new out of the brokenness of our country and of our city and of our lives. But we cannot do it if we don't surrender ourselves fully to the Ruah of God. And as we do that, individually, as you do that, this morning, when you go home, during the week, Every day, as you do that, then the Spirit will unify us and do a great thing through us in the city of Fort Collins. Amen? And it's not about us doing greater things than other churches. It's about what God is doing through all of the churches. Because guess what? A local church community unified through the Spirit will be unified through other churches in the community that God is working through. And so together we celebrate what God is doing through other churches. And together we seek that God might also do great things through us. Because this word of recreation is not simply a word for the individual, but rather it's a word for the community. I have two next steps that I want to walk you through now, and then after prayer we'll we'll fill out our connection cards. But The next steps, these are possibilities of what God may be calling you to do. But if God is calling you to something specific in your life, please respond in obedience to that. But some ideas is is to ask God, ask how God wants to bring recreation into your dead situation. I know that's general and I know that's vague, but I, I believe that God wants to breathe new life into some of your situations. And then the second one is to is to pray for God's spirit to move powerfully. In, in and over our community. Let me ask you something. Church, do you pray for your church? Do you pray that God would move powerfully among us? Do you pray that God would bring a spirit of unity among us? I hope that you do. And if you don't, I pray that God would challenge you to do just that. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.